Hello, everybody. Welcome to our November, aka hashtag November episode of our season two audio magazine. This month's edition is entitled Black Girl Magic. We focus on the ways in which Black women, as root workers, conjurers, witches, spiritual practitioners, Black feminist voodoo aesthetics, shout out to Camila L. Martin, show up in media. You will hear many definitions of Black Girl Magic throughout this edition. And you got a taste of it last episode when guest Queen Mendy hit us with Nikki Giovanni's Ego Tripping. But by way of introduction, please consider this definition from The Breakbeat Poets, Volume 2, Black Girl Magic, edited by Mahogany L. Brown, Idrissa Simmons, and Jamila Woods. To pull the phrase Black Girl Magic apart into its singular elements, Black, the color of my kin, of opal, of beauty that is often decentered, disregarded, holiness passed for evil. Girl, a term used by black women since, actually, let me say that one more time. Girl, a term used by black women since the beginnings of black women in reference and reverence to our homegirls. Magic, rituals of persistence, conjuring, reclamation and possibility, hope, survival, thriving, centering on our power and sisterhood and joy. We hope we represent these elements in the upcoming episodes. Lady D, please let us know what to expect. Episodes in this edition include a chat with our cover star, Therese Bahari, two book reviews, and they lived happily ever after by Therese Bahari and Legendborn by Tracy Dion. Featured article, Intro to Black Spiritualities. We also add entries into the feminist Black speculative fiction canon, Eve's Bayou, and The Princess and the Frog. We first begin with Lady H's chat on Legendborn with Miss Simi and Madame Lizette. If you're planning to join us for the slow read of the sequel of Legendborn, please check out our link tree or social media for the schedule. If you have yet to finish Legendborn, this podcast and the companion guide will help you jumpstart your experience. I'm using the companion guide too, so you're not alone. Again, thanks for joining us for this magical edition. And now our episode on Legendborn. Hello and welcome to this edition of not quite a Watch With You podcast, but a little bit of an adjunct. We are celebrating season two of Watch With You and we are doing Black imagination and Black speculative fiction. And how can we do that without a little bit of Black girl magic? So to celebrate, we are going to talk Legend Born by Tracy Dion. And this is book one of the Legend Born cycle. And it's a very long book, and I can't talk about it by myself. Lady D, my regular co-host, has yet to read it. So this is my invitation. Okay, this is me begging. I said, girl, get on the train and come on and read this so we can be ready for book two. But you know who has read it? Podcast fave, very first guest, Madame Lizette. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So happy to be here. And for the very first time, another book lover, a general hospital watcher, a wrestling aficionado, we have Simi. Simi, welcome to Watch With You podcast. Hello, how are you? Okay, so this is our first time meeting you. Yes. What would you like our listeners to know about you? Um, 
Hey, I'm Semi. Uh, I was born in the Ivory Coast in West Africa. I moved here when I was like five. I like soap operas. I like wrestling. I love Beyonce and I love a whole bunch of nerd shit. So <laughs> that's me. All right now. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome. So we're gonna start off with a synopsis of the book and I'm just going to read it right from the, oh wait, we have it up. So does yeah. anybody else want to read the synopsis? Here you go, putting people to work. <laughs> but you know darn good and well that I, I I don't have y'all do nothing that I won't do. So mm. okay, I will I will do my best to get this all together. Okay, so here's a synopsis filled with mystery and an intriguingly rich magic system. Tracy Dion's YA contemporary fantasy, Legendborn, offers the dark allure of City of Bones with a modern day twist on a classic legend and a lot of Southern Black girl magic. After her mother dies in an accident, 16-year-old Bree Matthews wants nothing to do with her family's memories or childhood home. A residential program for bright high schoolers at UNC Chapel Hill seems like the perfect escape until Bree witnesses a magical attack on her very first night on campus. A flying demon feeding on human energies. A secret society of so-called legend-born students that hunt the creatures down and a mysterious mage who calls himself a Merlin and who attempts and fails to wipe free memory of everything she saw. The mage's failure unlocks Bree's own unique magic and a buried memory with a hidden connection. The night her mother died, another Merlin was at the hospital. Now that Bree knows there is more to her mother's death than what's on the police report, she'll do whatever it takes to find out the truth, even if it means infiltrating the legendborn as one of their in initiates. She recruits Nick, a self-exiled legendborn with his own grudge against the group, and their reluctant partnership pulls them deeper into the society's secrets and closer to each other. But when the legendborn reveal themselves as the descendants of King Arthur's knights and explain that a magical war is coming, Bree has to decide how far she'll go for the truth and whether she used her magic to take the society down or join the fight. There we go. Thank you. So a few warnings. Uh, this book does include themes of death of a parent, traumatic grief, flashbacks, alcohol consumption, mind control, memory manipulation, racist macro and microaggressions, Vomiting, blood, mild gore, combat violence, mentions of physical abuse, racial violence, and sexual violence. So if those are exciting to you, we understand. Please take care. Uh, this podcast will also contain spoilers. The first half, we're going to try to keep it as spoiler-free as possible. But other than that, we're going to get into it. So please be warned and read the book. Okay. And my first question to, I'm going to start with Simi first, is what do you normally read and what has brought you to Legendborn? I read everything, honestly, um, except like maybe like horror stuff, but I love everything. Um, my favorite genres are fantasy and I do love YA. I came to Legendborn because I was at work in like a little book section. I saw a black girl with big hair and like magic hands. And I was like, yep, what is that? <laughs> so that like intrigued me. If it has like a black girl in it, if there's some magic, some fantasy elements, I'm there. Awesome. What about you, Madame Lizette? 
I always read like your ghetto black dramas, black romances. That's what I enjoyed. I also am a manga reader. I am also an ex fanfic writer, but I still dabble in fan fictions from time to time. And I also enjoy reading like comic books. So this is probably the first book that I have read that is not like some sort of visual novel manga fantasy type. I read a lot of fantasy in that way because I like the pictures, but this one was the first one I picked up and it was like, I can make these pictures in my head. It'll work. And it was, it was actually fantastic if I'm going to be honest. All right. Well, the cover definitely drew me to the book and I'm not really a YA reader. I'm getting into it more and more because my second set of kids are that age. And I'm feeling like if schools give us an opportunity to select books for ourselves to read, then I need to be able to help guide them to some books that they'll like because they'll just throw their hands up and like, I don't want to read nothing. And to the point they don't because they want to rebel against me. That's that's their form of rebellion. Like, we will not read what's not required. So I've picked up a few books because of that. I'm tiptoeing into YA and YA fantasy. You, Madame Lizette, said, I want to read this book for my 30th birthday. And I said, all right, bet. Let's do a buddy read. So that's what really drew me to this book, the cover and the fact that you were willing to read it with me. Yes, it just took us until my 31st birthday to finish it. (laughs) Yes, it did. (laughs) But we were on a mission. And I think for me, the book was a slow start. But once it picks up, you're just like, oh, I got to keep going. Like, I got to finish it. And even with the slow start, I did not want to give it up. Usually if I deal with any type of like media that has a slow start, if I just don't find the slow start to be interesting, I'll be like, yeah, we're just going to close this up. I don't want to. But this one was one of those slow starts where I was like, no, we're getting somewhere. I want to learn more. And so I just kept pushing myself. And then I would message JJ and be like, oh, I made it to this part. You need to start reading. And then eventually it was like, I read 15 chapters in a night and I'm done with the book. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it was. Well, then I want to ask you then this question and then you same to you, Sammy, which is, since it started a little slow for you, when did you know that you liked or loved this book? I think I made it to like chapter 16, chapter 17, somewhere around there. And I was like, oh, no, I'm invested. I want to keep doing this. And then by the time I got to that point, I was reading like five or six chapters a night. And like I told you, in two or three days, I read the other 30 some odd chapters like back to back because I was like invested. It hit me and I was like, oh, yeah, I want to I want to finish this. What about you, Miss Simi? Um, for me, it was when, I don't know if it might be a story when they encounter, when she encounters her first monster, like, on campus. Oh, that's early in the book. It is early, but, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was okay. still like, ooh, okay, let's go. Okay. And if you could rate it, how do each of you feel about the book? I would give it four stars. Okay. That's what I was thinking, too, four stars. Oh, wow. It's a three-peat. So a little bit later, when we get into the spoiler section, we definitely have to talk about why it is a four-star read and not a five-star read. In terms of the characters or just the entry level, how did you locate yourself in this book? Did you you see yourself in this book? And if so, how and where? For me, um, the fact that Brie was like the only like Black girl 
in like her group, I felt that real hard because mm-hmm. like I went to um, a boarding school when I went to high school and I can count on my fingers how many black people specifically on like one hand. So a lot of the times, like in some of my friend groups, I was the only black girl or in my classrooms, I was the only black girl. So like the microaggressions that she faced, I was like, oh, I feel that very hard. Hear that. What about you? So up until about sixth grade, I was probably one of the only black kids in any of my classes. So I was a ballerina and I was the only black girl in ballet. Um, And then... (laughs) <laughs> when I, I went to Montessori school from first grade to fifth grade. And so it was three three grades per class. So you were first, second, third, and one group. And then you're fourth, fifth, and sixth in the other group. And then seventh, eighth. But I didn't do sixth, seventh, and eighth at this school. But in my class, it was a handful of like three to five of us black kids. Um, and I was one of the only black kids in like my grade. They were all a grade older than me. So being the only black face in a very white space felt very normal. And so reading Bree's experience, I was like, girl, you just got to move on. Like you just, you kind of <laughs> just have to take it on the chin and keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even when I got to six, seven and eighth, and I was in more, like racially diverse schools, I was still one of the only black kids. I live in Dallas, Texas. We have a very, very, very large Mexican population at most schools, even inner city schools, especially on the side of town that I live. It's still like 50% Mexican, 30% white, and like 10% black. So you're still the only black face in a classroom. It's just now the majority are Hispanic and they like the same things you like. So you get to fit in a little bit better. Um, but the white kids still kind of look at you like, eh, I'm better than you because I'm white. Um, and I just so happen to go to this school with you. And so just watching Brie deal with that was really interesting, especially when um, she got to meet the mothers and they thought she was the help. And I was like, ooh, sis, I've been there. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, I've been there. I've also had the white mothers who were like, your chocolate skin is so beautiful. I wish I could just be as chocolate and brown as you. You are gorgeous. Like, I had some white mamas who affirmed me and my blackness. But I also had some white mamas who was like, eh, don't touch my son. Don't go over there. Do not do that. What's she doing here? That's one of your friends. Are you sure? Like, I've experienced both of those. And so when that happened, I was like, oh, Brie, you bringing back past memories. Because they think that you are a science experiment. Mm -hmm. So, like, you don't wash your hair every day. You can just brush it into a bun. You can just, you know, why don't you wear red lipstick? You wear purple lipstick. Why don't you put on blush? What do you mean that, you know, you can't use the same, like, especially in ballet. Like, what do you mean you can't do the same things? And then your teachers are like, well, tuck this in, tuck that out. Sis, I'm going to have a stomach, boobs, thighs, and ass. I don't know what else to tell you. It is all going to be here. I can't tuck it as much as you want me to tuck it. I'm sorry. I apologize. And... Yeah, like I the PA still rocks though. Like my my point, my turnout and my point is still on fire. I don't know what you want me to do. So those like that whole situation of her being that like single black 
face in a sea of white faces, I was like, oh, girl, I've been there. I don't do that no more, but I've been there. <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> I've been there. Oh, see, I'm going to turn it down a little bit, but then hopefully we pick it back up. I have three points of entry. Like both of you, I have been the black girl in white spaces and PWIs and in other places. Like it's just been me. And they have no idea that the stuff that comes out of their mouth. And it's like, really? That's wild. Um, But also my last name is Hairston. We are a unique bunch of people where we have a 501c3, a coat of arms, several books, and a PBS special about us because Peter Hairston, who came from Scotland, had a plantation in North Carolina called the Kulami Plantation, and he did not sell those who, whom he enslaved. So we're all related, and we all know where each other are. My father is from the Columbus, Ohio branch, but because I live in Maryland, I am a part of the Chesapeake branch of this. So understanding the North Carolina connection that way and feeling it like mm, Peter Harrison could have been something else and some other thing because he did. He had mixed race children whom were still enslaved that he didn't sell. Uh, that's why my family looks the way that it does. And then there's there's still the white Harrisons and it's um, in black and white. So it's an interesting dynamic that we have about family legacy. So that um, talk about family legacy, I definitely connected with, especially with that geography. Thirdly, um, I connected with the father because I lost my father and I lost my father at, when I was 30. And so I was much older, but he was killed in a car accident because of police decided they wanted to chase an individual. And he got caught in the crossfire of that. And I had to be that person where, like, where my brother, he was out of it. My mom was out of it. I had kids. I had to be the executrix of the estate and hold it all together. So... Although you're meeting after, I want to use my name, you're meeting after Aaron. I understood how the father had to maintain, hold it all together with a devastating loss, but understand that you cannot crumble because other people are depending on you. So in those ways, I definitely resonated with grief in this book. In this book through Brie, we go through the, the stages of grief. And uh, so I can resonate with that, being Black, being a woman. So the misogynoir that's all throughout this book and the cultural history and legacy of family and blood. Oh, y'all got real quiet. I'm here. I'm going to let you talk. It, it actually made me think about like my own last name. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I was like, we'll get to that when we get to like that part of our conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to save it. All right. So uh, you talked a little bit about some of the feelings that this book evoked for you, Madame Lizette. I talked a little bit about what it evoked for me. Uh, Simi, did this book evoke any specific feelings for you? My dad also passed away when I was older. I was about 29, 30 as well. And like we hadn't been close towards the later part of his life, but we were very close before. So also like the stages of grief, the before, the before Brie and the after Brie, I felt that as well. And like the random moments when you like think about that person. So I felt those 
very hard. And also just when her dad was like, I need you to make more black friends mm. <laughs> to make like more black friends as well. Cause that's an important thing to me too. Since like I'm American, but like I have this other culture. So kind of like there's some like things with black Americans that I couldn't really connect with. And I've always wanted that. So I felt that as well too with her. Oh, that's deep. Cause I, I mean, I definitely have thoughts about that statement that I'm sure we're going to go back to when we're in the spoiler section. Mm-hmm. Um, we also talked about how the book addresses race and racism. How do you feel about it? And we know that it does address it, but how do you feel about the way that it was addressed? Do you feel as though she was successful or it could use a little work? Hmm. I think she addressed it like really well. We're going to get into the spoiler part, but talking about like the slavery history of it and the fact that it wasn't beating you over the head with it. This is just like the subtle ways that it happens, like, you know, the Confederate flags and like the microaggressions. It's not like, you know, somebody just in your face calling you the N word. It can be a little more insidious than that. So I think with that part, she really hit the nail on the head with that. Okay. What about you, Madame Lizette? I think she has a little room to grow. So like you can tell that those things bother her and she wants to stick up for herself and she tries, but I appreciate Nick and Sarah who are just like, eh, and Alice too, who are just like, eh, we're not doing that. You're not going to do that to my friend, you know? So I appreciate her allies always kind of like coming to her rescue and recognizing she's uncomfortable because it's real white in here. She's uncomfortable because you guys keep looking at her funny or that you just outright state that you do not like her because she is a black girl. Um, But I think that she has some confidence issues at the end of the book. I think her confidence is better, but I know 16-year-old me wasn't addressing all the racism I was seeing because I didn't understand how to, like, defend myself against all the racism I was seeing, while, like, 31-year-old me is like, eh, eh, we're not doing that. Let's not even try because I'm much more confident in myself and much more comfortable in my blackness and also being the one black face and a bunch of white faces or Hispanic faces or whatever, you learn... I can navigate this differently than I used to do in the past. Like there's some growth. So I think like she's handling it to the best of her ability with where she is at. But I totally believe that it's going to change and she's going to become even more confident in defending herself as we like progress through the book or the series. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of the themes without going into spoilers. Brie goes on a memory walk. If you could go on a memory walk with your ancestors, would you do it? And if so, who would you walk with and why? Ooh, I would definitely do it. I think I would go on a memory walk with an ancestor from maybe my dad's side of the family because um, we're Haitian on that side. So my grandpa was like Cuban and all this like, and my grandma was like indigenous to Haiti. So I wanted to see... I would want to go on a memory walk on that side as well, just to like see all like, you know, the other facets of my blackness on that side. What about you, Madame Lizette? So I thought that that was very dope getting to experience that and the ancestors knowing that she's there, but also like continuing whatever they need to do in that situation. Um, I would totally make an effort to do it. And I would want to go with my grandmother. I never got to meet my grandmother. She passed away from cancer before I was born. 
but according to like all the people who know her, I look just like her. So mm. I want to meet her. Like that's really what it is. Like I want to meet her. I want to like see this woman who you know started this long line of current women, and we all be tripping, but we all have a little bit of her in us. From my aunt to my mother, my mother's ex husband, even some of the church members, they're all like, "Oh, she looked just like Helen. She looked just like Helen." And I'm just like, "Well, I want to meet Helen. I want to know." she was like <laughs> so I would totally do it and I would like to meet my grandmother if you could join a secret order or specifically the order that Brianna joins would you do it and if you could select like you know we're in the beginning of the book we're not spoiling so we we know that this is a about a take on Arthuriana or a contribution to Arthuriana Whose line would you want to be a page or a squire or a vassal for? The only like person in the book outside of like Nick and Cell I absolutely loved was William. So I want to be William's page. Me and him need to be friends. We need to spend time together. I want to learn all of his healing possibilities and like what he can and can't do. I think William is absolutely dope. And he has, he's so knowledgeable. And I like that knowledge. Like the fact that he knows so much about the history of this round table and about the history of each scion. I absolutely love that. So William's my favorite character outside of like our main characters. I would join him. Okay. What about you, Simi? Yeah, William was my first thought as well. Because he was like, I really loved his healing magic and all the stuff that he was doing. So that was the one that I was thinking of too. Also, I'm the only one that would go for the line of Morgaine. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I just need I need like a little bit more information about them, like why they kicking it the way they kicking it. Right. Because <laughs> it's like mm, I don't know. What's what, I yeah. I love a good villain tribe. I love a good like anti hero. So yeah. if I can just get a little bit more information about why they're doing what they're doing. Right, because right now I'm like squinting at you. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not sure if we need to be kicking it this way. Like, you are doing a lot here. Like, I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah, I need need a little bit more information. Yeah, exactly. Like, honestly, if if she would start the second book from their perspective, I think that would be so dope. Oh, Oh, we're going to go there. We're going to go there. Actually, let me. So does that mean you're planning to read the second book? Yes, I'm going to read the second book. I pre-ordered it, so I can't wait. What about you, Simi? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I was like, I need to know everything that's happened. Second mm-hmm. book, I need it now. <laughs> yeah, I need it now. Like, when I finished, I was like, when does the second book come out? It right. said November, and I was no, like, well... <laughs> November will be here in no time. Like we got a bunch of holidays. School comes back. Next thing you know, it's October. It's Halloween. And bam, Thanksgiving. I was like, okay, you know what? I'll be all right. I can make it. I can hold off for the next like five to six months. Yeah. Okay. So then we answered that question. We are wrapping up spoiler free section. If uh, people haven't read the book and we are telling them like, you got to read the book. Would you, how would you categorize the book? Would you categorize it as dark academia, as uh, YA, as a romance, sci-fi? How would you each categorize this book? Um, I would say it would be a YA, maybe more urban fantasy. It's in the modern world, but there's like magic. And it's, I would say, a YA urban fantasy 
I agree with that. That's probably what I would call it too. I don't think it tells a lot of the history, but I don't know if it tells enough or sticks to the history enough for it to be a dark academia. And with it taking place in present day with fantasy elements, that urban fantasy, and them all being like college kids, basically high schoolers, I think that YA urban fantasy works. It doesn't actually get super dark until the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For most of like for a good ninety five percent of the book, there's not a whole bunch of like violence or you know gore or death. Um, they're just like trials, but even the trials are not the people are people are not dying. They may be getting hurt, but they are not dying. Um, and even any of the interactions with like the demons and things like that, people are hurt. I don't think they've ever mentioned that someone dies. It doesn't actually like kick to like a dark fantasy situation until like the last couple of chapters all right well okay y'all we're about to start moving into spoilers so if you haven't read the book pause it here we'll see you later and let us know what you think about it but make sure you come back that's right (laughs) that's right come back and now if you have read the book we about to get into it. Um, or if you're like me and you don't mind spoilers, keep listening. It won't ruin it for you. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> really? Is that what you're going to say? We're not going to go too, too deep into it? I read the last chapter. I think the last chapter. Or maybe like the last two or three pages of the book when I first started it. I knew what the ending was. I also did not understand the ending. And so as I was going through the book, I was like, how does this tie back to what happens in the end? When I got to the end, I was like, oh, oh, there was so much. (laughs) So is Nick okay? I got to (laughs) know. Yeah. So honestly, if you're like me and you're like, I read the last chapter of the book and then start the book. And I don't do this for every book. I do this for certain books then you should be fine listening to us give you spoilers because if you're as imaginative as I am, we're not going to ruin it for you because you still have to like see it and read it and experience it. Right. Well, then so jump off or jump on. Okay. (laughs) In the words of Brianna's father, Mr. Matthews, where do we start? At the beginning. So... Will you indulge me for half a second? I'm going to read the prologue as best I can. Prologue. The police officer's body goes blurry, then sharpens again. I don't stare at him directly. I can't really focus on one thing in this room. But when I do, his face shimmers. His badge, the rectangular nameplate, his tie clip, all the little metal details of his chest ripple and shine like loose silver change at the bottom of a fountain. Nothing about him appears solid. Nothing about him feels real. I don't think about that, though. I can't. Besides, everything looks otherworldly when you've been crying for three hours straight. The police officer and nurse brought me and my father into a tiny mint green room. Now they sit on the other side of the table. They say they are explaining the situation to us. These people don't feel real, but neither does the situation they keep explaining i don't cry for my mother's death or for myself i cry because these strangers in the hospital the nurse the doctor the police officer don't know my mother and yet they were closest to her when she died and when your people die you have to listen to strangers speak your nightmare into existence 
We found her on Route 70 around 8, the police officer says. The air conditioner kicks on. The sharp scents of hospital-grade hand soap and floor cleaner blow across our face. I listen to those people I don't know use the past tense about my mother, the person who brought me into this world and created my present. They are past tensing my heart, my whole beating, bleeding, torn heart right in front of me. It is a violation. These uniformed strangers carve me open with their words, but they are just doing their jobs. I can't scream at people who are just doing their jobs, can I? I want to. My father sits in a vinyl padded chair. It creaks when he leans forward to read paragraphs of fine print on pieces of paper. Where did this paperwork come from? Who has paperwork on hand for my mother's death? Why are they ready when I am not? My father asks questions, signs his name, blinks, breathes, nods. I wonder how he is functioning. My mother's life has stopped. Shouldn't everything and everyone stop living too? She was crushed inside our family sedan, body half crumpled under the dashboard after a hit and run. She was alone until some nice, probably frightened, good Samaritan saw her overturned car at the side of the road. Blood red twine connects the final words I say to my mother last night in anger to another night in February. A night when my best friend Alice and I, sitting together in a basement of her parents' split-lover home, decided UNC Chapel Hill's early college program was our dream. Bright high school students can earn college credit at Carolina over the course of two years, experience life in the dorms, and become dependent. At least, that's what the brochure said. For Alice and me, early college was two minority girls ticket out of a small town in rural North Carolina. For us, Early college meant bigger ideas in classrooms and adventure. We'd filled out our applications together, marched right into the Bentonville post office after school, dropped the envelopes in a chute together. If we could get into EC, we could leave Bentonville high and move to a university dorm four hours away from home and away from parents who held us too tight and sometimes we couldn't breathe. A decade before I was born, my mother was an undergraduate at Carolina, a burgeoning scientist. I heard the stories for years, seen the framed photos of elaborate chemistry experiments, beakers and glass pipettes, protective goggles resting across her high cheekbones. It was her fault, really, for planting the idea in my mind. That's what I told myself anyway. Our letters came yesterday. Alice's parents knew she was applying. They beamed like they were the ones who'd been accepted. I knew it wouldn't go that way for me. I applied behind my mother's back, certain that once I got in, once I had the letter, she'd let go of the need to keep me close. I'd handed her the letter on blue and white Carolina stationery, grinned like it was a trophy. I'd never seen her so angry. My brain doesn't accept where my body is sitting. It catalogs the last 36 hours in an attempt to find the how of this hospital run. Last night, she roared about trust and safety and not rushing to grow up. I'd screamed about unfairness, about what I'd earned, and how I needed to get away from dirt roads. This morning, I was still fuming when I woke up in bed. I made a silent declaration to not speak to her all day. That declaration felt good. Today... A nothing normal Tuesday, except that for me, it carried the subburn undercurrent of we'll talk later. Tonight, she drove away from work at the end of the day, 
then a car, now this pale green room and a disinfected smell that burns when I inhale forever, we'll talk later, is not the same as we'll never talk again. The twine from February closes tight around me like I will never take another breath. But somehow the police officer is still talking, shimmering and shining. The air around him looks alive, like he is drenched in magic. But when your entire world is shattering, a little bit of magic is nothing. Okay, that was a prologue. And we start three months later. And that's our first introduction to Brie. What do you all think about Brie? I love Brie. I fell for her so hard. I was just like, I need to like, that's that's my niece now. So I love Brie. I really connected with her. And sometimes I was just like, Brie, come on, get it together. Let's go. But like, I loved her. I thought she was great. And I just, I was really, really rooting for her throughout this whole story. So I felt the same way about Brie. Like, I was always rooting for her. She was my little sister. I was just like, sis, we're going through this loss together. So I need you to help me help you. It made me recognize like how terrible we all deal with grief and death. Like I, no one ever actually prepares you for it. It just happens to you. And then you develop whatever coping mechanisms that you have. And watching Brie lose her mother, I thought about like what it felt like when I lost my dad. And I talked to my therapist about it and everything. And the one thing she told me that I was perfectly okay with doing was you can love him and miss him and still be very mad at him and angry with him because he did not give you the time that you wanted. Mm -hmm. And that was the one thing I wanted to always explain to Brie, which was like, you can be very annoyed with your mother because she was nagging you all the time. She was nitpicking you all the time. She was hard on you all the time. You can also 100% love her because she was your mother and she loved you. And I think that was the one thing with, like I wanted her to understand was like, you know for a fact that she loves you, but it's also okay to be like upset with her because she did not express that love or show that love well enough or in good enough ways so that you felt reassured by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I experienced this book, I have the book, but I had difficulty finding time to read a hard copy of the book. So because Madame Lizette and I say she can't turn 31 and I haven't read this book yet, I decided I was going to jumpstart the book by renting the audio book from my library. Unfortunately, I didn't have that prologue that I just read to you all. It started with part one, page one. So I didn't know how long it had been. By the time her mother had passed and she's at the quarry, it's three months. So this is still really recent. And I didn't know that. So I'm listening to this child and I understand she's 16 years old and she has this loss and she's feeling reckless because she also has a lot of opportunity for independence that even had she not have this loss, 16 year olds, hell, 21 year olds. Because when I moved on campus, I did a year on campus and I had three babies. So I can, what year? I was 21. I would have acted a fool too, with three whole babies and 21 years old. Come on now. So I get it. But I was saying like, she felt so selfish that I was having difficulty relating to her at first. And I was at first 
relating more to the concern of her father, the concern of Alice saying like, yo, what's going on with you? Like, how reckless are you going to be? Like, what is your mental state right now? Are you going to jump off that cliff? And if so, are you jumping off that cliff for a rush or are you jumping off that cliff for another reason? I didn't, I had to grow with Brie. She's family now. But at first I was like, woo child. I was like uh, Dr. Pat and I was ready to break up with her. Wish you the best, sis, but I can't help you. Yo, I saw it coming. When Dr. Pat was like, we need to break up. I was like, yeah, I see that coming. Because she recognizes that there's still so much that Brie doesn't know. And Brie is so unsure of so much too and with her having the connection that she had with her mother even though it was like a very small minuscule one it's very hard to be comfortable with someone who had even the remote relationship with someone that you're missing do you think that she could have had a different relationship with before Brie than after Brie and any thoughts you each have about before and after Brie one of my biggest issues with Bree's mother and the, the reasoning of why we get before Bree and after Bree is that her mother could have told her. She could have prepared her for this because she knew it was going to happen. When you get to the end of the book, you find out what, what the bargain was. And so she knew that I'm not going to make it to you being a certain age. I'm not really sure what age that's going to be. And it sounds like most of them pass away before the child turns 18. So like, I'm not going to make it there with you, but I can at least help you. And I feel like if her mother would have helped her instead of being afraid and keeping it from her, I feel like we would not have gotten an after Brie and a before Brie. Like, I feel like she would have been more sure of herself because a lot of the after Brie is her not knowing who she is and who she's supposed to be because she feels like I didn't get enough time with my mother to develop that kind of personality or develop that person for myself and with her not being here to guide me I don't know who I am without her and I just feel like if her mother would have been like hey let me tell you a story I know you're not going to believe me about this, but let me just go ahead and tell you this story and let me help you understand what our gift is and what it means, or at least like what it means to us, because they look at the gift in a different way than, of course, everyone else does. I feel like before Brie, after Brie would have never been a thing, or if it wasn't a thing, after Brie would have not had such a chokehold on her in the way that she did. I think that after Brie would have still like happened because, you know, it's just such a such a jarring thing for her. But I think that if she had been more prepared for what was happening, she wouldn't have been so confused and so like unsure of who she was. So, yeah, I my frustration with her mother, too, Kim, was like, you knew that this was going to happen. I know you were scared, but you knew this was going to happen as the adult. You really should have prepared this girl that she was going to have to live without you. So yeah, I think that there was you still would have had after Brie, but it she wouldn't have been so insecure and so unsure and so like lost had she been more prepared for what was gonna happen. See, okay, I have a differing view. When she got the charm bracelet and we talked about the story of her mother and her and her mother's words to her, right? She said in that memory that 
she took her to someone who I think was Cell's mother to assess if she had magic or if she had the potential. When that person, or it was a, a person, like a, another root practitioner, when that person didn't sense it in her, then she was like, okay, I will try to, She, you know, as the father said, be hard on you to try to get you to be mature and an adult. And her father was like, yeah, a little too hard, but to be responsible in those ways. But the mom said, just in case, this is the contingency plan. So a lot of the answers that, or she started getting answers because the mother was trying to prepare her in other ways. And unfortunately, I think that her, the trajectory of the relationship changed because of those check-ins. And we see that this order is wild, right? And we also know that she was friends with Selwyn's mom. And we don't know what she was told and, and what dangers that could happen. But in that line from the old mother, Vera, we learned why she had to make that bargain in the first place. And that is because the line of author could not have a child out there like Brie was. So if they suspected anything or realized that, wait a minute, this could be something that we don't want, they would have killed her. They killed the white women and their uh, their lines to ensure that the boy was a successor. What would they do to her? So she was aware of very real dangers. And I think Selwyn's mom uh, was also aware of very real danger. Where, and she was being watched over the years where it would have been dangerous for her to do so much. And what do we know about Brianna? I don't think that, I mean, she's pushy. I think that looking back, we see so much of the king in her. Like she came out like the king. And she said, I'm not shy. I'm tall. I can just do whatever. I'm tall and I'm not shy. I don't know. I think her mother's looking at this and was like, girl, you are not ready. You are you are too resistant in too many things. So, and I think that for me, she calls it after Brie. I call her, I don't think there was a before Brie for me. It's, it's like the after Brie, the person that we meet is after the, her, the tragedy. And then everything else is awakened Brie of, oh, I'm on my own. Oh, so the world is bigger than what I thought. Oh, so there's magic. Oh, so now I understand my lineage. And like you said early on, Semi, about the father, your father, my father, her father saying, you need to get you some black people. And then a lot of those answers started coming also when she got with those black people. I think that they're also going to play a, a big role in book two, or at least I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I do. Okay, so the thing that, at least this was my, like, interpretation of it, and I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. From what I gather, none of the women in her family passed on the gift. You just kind of had it, and you figured it out. Because your mother never lived long enough to really train you on it. And, like, give you the history. Which explains why no one knew that they were the Arthur line, right? So her mother would not have known that she was going to be king. 
Like, she would have never known that. I understand that she was being watched and they were checking on her and making sure that she did not have any memories of what happened. But I think that one thing that this book lets you know is the the black people, the slaves of this book practice root magic without letting the slave masters know so i feel like there would have been ways for her to train brie even if brie did not show or present any powers so that she could at least teach her the history like look sweetheart you don't have powers at least from what i can tell but i want you to know this is like your inheritance this is what you're going to get or you may get one day or if you don't get it your daughter is going to get it because that's another thing too they don't do the or it from what it, the way it looks. No one explains to their child, I'm not going to see you to 18. Like, I'm only going to see you for so far. And then after that, you are on your own. And I hope that you make it. And I hope that your daughter makes it. But understand, none of us are meant to see our children grow old, right? So mm-hmm. you can at least pass on that knowledge. That's something that Bree talks about, especially initially, which is like, I don't know the history because none of the women in my family have ever watched their children grow up. Wait, I, I thought that her mother did not share it with Brie, but I thought that her mother did teach um, the mom who's, I, I think her name is Faye. Yeah. Um, so her mother, Vera, is right, Grandma Vera? Cause she's- Yes, yeah, Grandma Vera, yes. Grandma Vera taught Mama Faye how to work with the uh, wild crafting. Yes, but Faye was terrified of it because one thing that they taught, like um, that Patricia talks about is your mother wasn't as open or discussed it in the same way. So I can see why she, you didn't know, but I thought she would at least have given you the basics. And she was like, well, your mother knew so much. Why do you know so little? And I know that the demon and the door or the gate being opened, I understand that that scared her. And so I'm not going to like um, dismiss the fact that it scared her. But I feel like also, I guess if it was me, if I was her mother and that would have happened to me, I would have been even more vigilant to teach my child because what if it happens to her? I think that's why she was so angry. I think that's why she tried to stay away from it because she knew that she was being watched. Her mother, Vera, and Vera's mama down the line, they weren't as watched as Faye was. And this wasn't just like, oh, okay, you know, one year. They they had how many pages of documents of them watching throughout her life and knew about Brianna and everything? So I think that she was like, look, if I show my daughter and we're out there doing something, then maybe they'll realize Oh no, she does know because if she has magic, then she resisted Mesmer. But even with the amount of like documentation they had, they only checked on her like every like four to five years. Like it wasn't like they were checking on her constantly. And they didn't even, in the grand scheme of things, it looks like, and I might have misread this, they didn't send anyone to like her death. Someone's mother just wanted to go because that was her friend but it was still recorded yes it was recorded but i think that they were just trying to figure out is she gonna have a psychotic break is she gonna become like um a conspiracy theorist more than like does she have power because 
these people like that entire legend born lineage they look at themselves as being better because we have this connection to author and the round table we are better than everyone else and so i don't think they even would have acknowledged or thought and even by the time we get to the end of the book it's tor being like I ain't trying to follow her. I don't care who she is. Even though it's clear as day that Brie is king author, you got to follow her. Like, it doesn't matter what you want to do. Like, your lineage calls to, your lineage wants you to support her. So you're going to support her because there's not anything else that you know. But Tori is just like, I ain't doing that. She a black girl. She ain't done nothing. I'm not going, like, why would I ever? And so I feel like they would have been just as arrogant if they would have potentially figured out, like, oh, those black people can do some of the things we do interesting well and they know i think they know because selwyn knew i mean remember when he followed her and she was like i don't care that your mother used magic to grow herbs yeah like they don't care they dismissed it because that magic is not the same as theirs and the line is the law tour she's um we're gonna get to her um (laughs) Sammy, do you have any thoughts of that or any other thoughts about Brie before we talk about Selwyn and Nick? Yeah, I I understand Faye's fear. Yeah, my understanding was also that Faye knew, was actually taught more, but wasn't taught as much as she wanted to because her mom passed. But I understood that gripping fear, especially for um, her daughter, because she didn't want her to be in danger. I still think that she could have like prepared her a little bit more even in like secret but i do understand the decision that she made i understand like she was scared for her because that would freak me the hell out like oh you know that like people are watching you and every little thing she had no idea to know if they were infiltrating somewhere at her job or anything else so i understood her fear and her like resistance to it i also resonate with Bree's anger that she wasn't as prepared Yeah, like, I don't want to act like I'm not taking consideration that constant paranoia of if I make one stupid decision or one, like, small thing, they're going to come out and take me and take my child and, you know, whatever. So I never, I don't want anyone to think that I'm acting like that fear is is not, like, at the forefront of this conversation. But I, I guess it's one of those things, like, when you get hit with something that you fear, are you fight or flight? And Brie is fight she is not a flight person she's afraid of her emotions but when it when it was time to like i'm determined i want to do this i'm going to get my answers she's a fight she's always for the fight and i think her mother was a little bit more of flight because once again brie experienced a demon like her what first or second day then she experienced another demon attack like a couple of day or two later, she's still like, yeah, but I don't figure this out now. I need to figure out if they know something about my mother. Her fight gene is very strong. And that probably has a lot to do with like what her lineage is with her being King Arthur's descendant and his blood. But I also think that a lot of that is just her pushing against this very safe space and safety net that her mother has put her in. Her mother fought. And she said in that memory in a charm bracelet, I don't regret fighting, you know, and I think that it kind of goes back to that memory walk with Dr. Pat's ancestor with the lashings. And she was like, why didn't they heal her completely? And Dr. Pat or the ancestor was like, she'll live. The whole point is to live. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what her mother did. Faye was like, yeah, I fought. But at the end of the day, the true fight is to live. 
I think that one of the reasons why the uh, mothers die early, like when the daughters are between, I'm assuming, I'm going to say 16 or 22, because that's like when you can get called, right, for Mm -hmm. that line. And their blood marked is their form of abatement. And so when, when your child comes into her power, that's like, oh, that's in between 16 and 22. So for Brianna, it was 16. And she said later on, it was just my time because she was coming into her power. And then even she saw it, like, look at the magic shimmering around you. I see it. I feel it. She was not freaked out at the quarry at all when she met Selwyn. Even though Brianna was fighting, she was still fragile. She was passing out. (laughs) She was getting hurt. She was freezing. So I appreciated that she wasn't this one note thing. Like, no, she she had a lot of layers to her. And I think that Tracy Dion did a really good job expressing that. I love the quote or like that people like people say black women say, which is like, I don't want to be a strong black woman. I want to be fragile. I want to be soft. I want to be loved. I want to like be able to cry. Like I don't want to be a strong black woman. And I think Brie as much of the strong black woman as she has, her fragility was just as prominent and just Mm -hmm. as like important. She could keep a brave face, but, and I think that's what after Brie was, was her fragility. Like, just being so broken, but also trying to cover it all up to be this strong person because everyone else around me is moving on and I'm not moving on. Mm-hmm. Her father wasn't either. He was taking it day by day. Yeah. He was also trying to put on a brave face because he has his daughter to think about. Right. And I think that that was a missed opportunity on Bree's part to grieve with her father instead of pushing him away. And being like, I don't want you to see me like this. Yeah, that was her that was her rage and her disappointment and I can't even name the other emotion that she had with herself where we as I read in the prologue, the we that uh will talk later merged into we'll never talk again. And that whole point of the last words that I said to her were in anger, you know, like this is where we left it. I think that at the time she was like, this is where we leave it, you know, not knowing about what she discovered as she goes on to where she actually does um, hear her mother's voice telling a story and feel her mother's presence twice. Once when she gets the charm bracelet and then once uh, when she sees the matrilineal line where her mother said like, hey, it was an accident. It was my time. And the line was something like she pressed her love into me. And that's what started unwinding the strings or the wall started crumbling at that point and got that answer. So the softness that she has, do you think that she could be soft with Selwyn or Nick? So this is like the team Nick, team Selwyn portion, which I figure is going to take us a long time. (laughs) So Sammy, first verse I heard, are you team Nick? Are you team Selwyn? Are you team neither? I mean, on the real, I'm team Nick Breesell, but if we're going to pick size, pick size, I'm team Nick. That's my boy. Okay. What about you? Because you know I want to ask you why, but before yeah. y'all go into why, what about you, Madame Lizette? I am still very much so team Nick. Like, I absolutely adore him. Not even going to lie. Everything about Cell is 
great, but he's a tortured soul. And I just feel like Brie is going to spend more time trying to put him back together than having someone help her put herself back together. Yeah, it took. But if I could get a throttle, I'd take the throttle. Like, I want the throttle, okay? Like, I am team throttle. But if I can't, I'm. When Nick looks at her and is basically like, look, sis, I don't care that you left. You are still going to be my page. I was like, yep, I love him. I'm done here. And even in every other situation where he stands up for her, whether it's against the mothers or uh, everyone else kind of being kind of weird about her, like he from jump, even before he like officially declared that he had feelings for her, he upfront was determined to make sure that she did not feel like an outsider. Yep. And I love him for that. So I'm Team Nick. Okay. What about you? What's your why for Team Nick? It's the fact that what we were talking about before, like Black women just want to be loved. They want to be soft. Like she can be that with him. She doesn't have to be strong, all that stuff. Like when he just clocked her and was just like, no, stop putting yourself down. Stop saying all this stuff. You are amazing. You're this. And he just builds her up. And the way she tries to like have these walls with him and he just crumbles them every time. It's just like, nope, I see who you are. And I love that. Like he adores her. And that just, it hits me in my heart, please. He just stands up for her. And at every single pass, he hasn't wavered on the fact that she's basically his right eye. And I love that so much. It took me to like almost the end of the book to like sell. Because I was like, Sal, go find some business somewhere else. I swear to God. (laughs) It took me so long to like him. I'm Team Nick all the way. Well, (laughs) Madame Lizette, what am I going to (laughs) say? She Team Sal. She loves Selwyn. Favorite character in the whole book. Not the whole book. Okay. (laughs) Here's the deal. I see Nick as poison. He (gasps) is the big button of smile. I, uh-uh. I don't trust anybody blonde. He's too perfect. I feel as though he's fitting to go on a villain. A Wait dinner. a minute. He is not perfect, though. No, no. no. <laughs> That's not what y'all you just said. He adores her. Adores. Yes, but, like, as a character, like, he gave up his title mm-hmm. basically because they took his mother away from him. See, I'm, I'm for that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then... I just don't believe he's going to follow everything his father tells him because I think he also recognizes like you're wrong. Yeah. Ooh, I don't see. I think the book two is going to be um, the Nick's villain agenda. And no. I think that that would be too much. That would be stereotypical plot device. And I would be, I would literally be very upset if that's what she decides to write because yeah. nothing about his character makes you think that he does what his father tells him. No, well, wait a minute. Selwyn said, he and Brianna had this conversation where essentially uh, Brianna said that. And someone said, mm, don't get it twisted. That's still the parent who stayed. And you're always going to want that parent's approval, attention, affection, whatever. And I think that it's really easy. This goes kind of back to what y'all are saying about the privilege. And it's real easy to, to give something away when you're at the top, when he could, on a whim, reclaim it whenever he wanted. Now that's not so. 
everything he suffered for, including the loss of his mother, everything that he thought he had, the fact that his father lost his mind and created this mess, and you're a Lancelot? Hell no. You know, like, he got to go through some things. But put that right. it's the same thing like Tor. Even more so with Lancelot. Lancelot is King Arthur's right-hand man in every situation. Lancelot never, ever betrays him when called. Oh, he slept with when called. When called. I said when called. That Lancelot was not called. All right, fine. And also, if we're going to be honest, the way that it looks, it sounds like that author married what was supposed to be Nick's great-grandmother or whatever, or grandmother or whatever. It really sounds like he married he married her to as a power move on Lancelot and Lancelot was just like I ain't putting up with it I think that that's also part of the problem does he adore her romantically or is he feeling the call of a loyalty of the right hand man to the king so here's what I'm thinking is going to happen we see a love triangle because we're we're kind of like conditioned to see it William said, hey, you're not supposed to co-mingle lines because things get messy. I think what's going to end up happening is that maybe the couple will be Selwyn and uh, Nick or nothing at all. As King, she's not going to, uh, once she gets Nick back, because as you know, at the end, she said, I I love him. It's two weeks, girl. Calm down. But uh, I think that she's going to get him back. They're going to have some time, like the three of them, Selwyn, Nick, and Bree. And it's going to be something completely different. They're not going to, because I don't think that Bree can trust that Nick isn't saying, I need to have a baby off of you to recertify the Davis line. Because they're really Lancelots at this point. But here's the problem with that. Neither one of them, if they do decide to have children, neither one of them are going to live long enough to see a child. Yeah, so yeah. the Davis is because not- once they get once they get called, it's what thirteen years. Yeah, about thirty five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So like, neither one of the she she won't even like she's most definitely not going to make it. Period. Because hers is a little bit different. Their line is once you have a girl, the the clock starts ticking. So if the first child is a girl, well, go ahead count the time, sweetheart. You don't have a lot left. Unless um, they kill her because they want the boy. Oh. But they don't care about whether, well, not 100%, but I don't think that will matter. I think one thing we're also missing is she has to get a Merlin of her own. Like, she has to get a King's Mage of her own. And what if that person develops the connection with her and Nick and Cell aren't even, like, a part of it, right? Once again, as much as we would love, like, as much as you would love Cell and Bree to be a thing, he can't because... He is devoted to Nick. He is mm-hmm. like that is his king's mage. So he has a, like the triangle exists because technically none of them can pick each other. That's they've already me. been picked. They've already they've been already picked. been picked. That's but right. she has the ability to pick a partner. Like she has the ability to get a Merlin. Now I feel like we're going to discover more about Selwyn's mother, and maybe she has a way to work around the original oath. But my assumption is either Selwyn's mother is going to become her king's mage or Selwyn's mother is going to introduce her 
to her king's mage. I and then agree. that throws that all off. Yeah, I agree. I understand like the connection that each of them have with each other, even though it took me so long to like sell. And I was just like, I need fix it. But I understand the connection that they have. So it's just like, I don't think that this is going to be like Nick's villain era <laughs> in the second book. At least I hope not. I think that he's not a perfect character. I think that what his struggle is going to be figuring out like wanting to follow his dad, but recognizing that his dad is fucking crazy and like a mess. And then trying to figure out who he is outside of him. Um, because his whole life he was just like, oh, I'm you know next in line to Arthur. And now that that's been taken away from him, I think that his kind of next story is going to be figuring out, well, who am I? if I'm not the next in line of Arthur and like trying to figure that out and growing with that too. I think it's going to be messy, but I don't think he's going to go into like full on like villain. At least I hope not. Don't go there. I will, I will cry. (laughs) Yeah. And that's another thing too. I think his father is going to spend all this time on some, we can get it back. We can get it back. We can figure this out. We'll get back in power. She's an outsider. She could never. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think Nick is going to be on the side of like, yo, who am I? I can do anything now. I can be whoever I want to be. Who is that? Like, what do I want to be? Because at the end of the day, they only met because the principal assigned him to her. Mm -hmm. If she hadn't have, you know, gotten in trouble at the quarry or whatever, there's a possibility that her and Nick never meet. Because once again, her mother came in contact with Nick's father and the order and everything and she never awakened and so they never knew that she was author. Fast forward 25 years they still don't know what happened right so there's a possibility that they could have just could went to that school never interacted with each other no one ever gets called or he gets called and Brie gets called and it's like wait what am I supposed to do now and then it's a, well, we got to figure this out more so than a, oh, I started liking you, we fell in love, and now you're not who you you thought you were, and I'm not who I thought I was. The biggest thing I think that her and Nick have to deal with right now is he, he feels in a form betrayed. He hates or dislikes that she was comfortable with sharing all of this with Selwyn and not comfortable enough with sharing it with him. Yeah. So I imagine his feelings are hurt. I imagine that he's probably a little heartbroken. But I also think that he's just, I love this girl and I'm dedicated to her and whatever that looks like. Because once again, they're 16, 17 years old. You think love is going to like be your end all be all at that age, right? And you don't understand it very well. I think that his father's going to try to like sow some doubt in him. Like, you don't really know who that girl is. You don't even know what really happened. But then that also means that his father has to be truthful about the gate opening 25 years prior, about what actually happened to his mother. That would also require him to be truthful, and I don't think he wants to be truthful either. Because one thing that William said is he believes that what he's doing is for the good of the order so he can do it. But if he has to, like, backtrack and have these conversations with Nick about how none of that is actually good for the order, then guess what? It would totally turn his entire lineage and his entire calling on its head. And then it might like, you know, drive him insane in a totally different way. Hmm. We delved into what uh, we think is going to happen in uh, the next book. We said we were definitely going to read it. 
We talked a little bit about racism. We talked a little bit, just a little, about cell. Well, we talked about cell and Nick and Bree. So, what do you want to talk about um, on the outline? We we have Black Sisterhood with Dr. Pat and Mariah, and we can talk a little bit more about intergenerational trauma. We talked about that a little, but I know that's something you want to talk about, Madame Lizette. On the syllabus, you put something that kind of made me stop and go, hmm. And I wanted to get into that. Oh, it was Dr. Pat talking about how, like, there's two sides to history. Mm -hmm. I don't think we 100% take that into consideration. Well, really, it's like white people tell history one way. Black people tell history one way. Native Americans tell history in a different way. Like, Mm -hmm. nobody tells history the same, right? But the one that's always, like, king is white history. And I know, like, being a Southerner growing up here and we like we said earlier when we first got on the call with the Juneteenth situation it's told differently so I remember this is probably a couple years ago like I stumbled across this tweet that was a clip of a video of a documentary about how slavery still existed in like the 1960s like these white people were in suits and hats driving cars and they interviewed a black woman who had like four or five kids she lived in like one bedroom shotgun home that had no furniture in it and she was making like 25 cents a day basically mm-hmm. and it's that thing that like we said Juneteenth slavery ended but in the grand scheme of things it actually did not white people just decided it was done they decided well we're just going to tell everybody in the world that black people are free but there are so many white people who were like, nope, we're going to still keep these black people working because I can't afford to pay them full price. I can't afford to give up this free labor that I'm getting. I can't afford for this to be any differently. And I feel like that is the one thing like in reading this book that gets touched on. The legendborn think that they are special because they have this magic that no one else can have. Not recognizing that all these slaves, not just Bree's lineage, but Mariah's lineage, Dr. Pat's lineage, like all these slaves have all this magic too. You weren't the only people who got to inherit it, but you can tell this story like you are. And like the one thing that William points out when they pull up the record at the end to figure out, well, how did Bree get to become King Arthur's, you know, descendant? And how did Nick become Lancelot? And it's because the regents decided we're going to just change it. We're going to change the history so it fits the way it's supposed to fit. Well, no, there was an affair because, I mean, it was, they stole these legendborn stole magic, as they said, it was colonizer magic. Right. So the issue was that they, like the Reynolds family, uh, that they were, that the Davis and his wife were arguing about children. And she had an affair with the Reynolds, like a neighbor. Right. And they passed that baby off. Now, is that what you're talking about? Like the regents allowed this baby to be passed off? Yes, because the re- like you have to report everything to the re- regents. And the two families we're talking about, the Reynolds and Nick's family, like they are the top of the line. They're Arthur and Lancelot. They have the most power out of all of the other round tables so you mean to tell me the regents had no idea like they had absolutely no idea what happened you you can't make me you can't make me believe that like i think that they thought 
we'll deal with it when we deal with it. Especially because nobody wanted to admit that Mr. Davis got his slave pregnant. She protected herself. That's the thing. So, but like he, but he knew. That's why, like, I mean, that's why he chased her. Like he knew, and he was gonna kill her because he yeah, he was gonna kill her because right, right, because he knew. Oh my God, if you have this child. I've messed this all up. I have to get rid of this child. And so, but it's, it's, that's that change in history of, okay, we got to change the history to fit the narrative. So I made a mistake. Sorry, had an outside child, comma, however, the child's gone. Don't even worry about it. We're going to pass off this other child because you also had an outside baby, but the baby's about the same age. So we're good. And we're just going to act like nothing happened. There's no way that these children are ever going to, like, the descendants of these children are ever going to come in contact with each other. And there's probably not going to be a Camelan. So we have nothing to worry about. When in all in actuality, it's like, yeah, that's not how any of this works. Well, yeah. you know, like, racism is ugly. There's a movie that came out with Kiki Palmer called Alice that was pretty much about this. And sharecropping was always a form of legalized like, enslavement and so are some prisons but the other thing you would know why could they pass that baby off because the baby was white and they privileged whiteness right and you think about the same things that happened with we're calling them regents but we can also call them the daughters of the revolution the DR, yeah because <laughs> think about the children of Thomas Jefferson and other children of uh, the founding fathers who they wanted to say like, oh, it didn't exist. And they're like, um, you can run this DNA right here. We can tell you that it did exist. And that and they, they have a seat at the table, just like the, these descendants. And just think about how upset they are because they can't lie to themselves when that baby's looking you dead in your face. That's what's happening now. Da Davis can't lie anymore if he was aware. I think that he wasn't aware because I don't think that he would have risked Hamlin because thinking because the whole point is my son's going to be called as Arthur. Why risk him being called as Lancelot? Oh no, I don't won't be at the top of the line anymore. No, I don't think that he knew. Also, something about him, and I it started from the very first time that Nick introduced him to Bree. I was like, Nope, don't trust you. He was too nice to her. Yeah. Like, he was way too nice to her. I was wait like, Nope, don't trust you. He was too nice no, to her. No, wait, wait, wait. How y'all feel about his daddy's how I felt about Nick? Yeah, no, but see, Nick genuinely was just like, he would have never come across her if he had been put in her path. Like, if he had not been assigned to her, he would have never met her. But when Nick introduced Bree to his father, and his father's like, oh my god, I'm so happy to meet you, you're gorgeous, da 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 it was just like, eh, eh, that's fake. And you want to know why it's, I know it's fake? Because all the rest of these white parents can't stand that I'm here. Like every other white parent in this room, starting with Vaughn's mama, can't stand that I'm here, but you're going to be the accepting one. It's you. Oh, okay. Well, he had a reason for that. And that was, he said to anybody who listened, listen, my son publicly denounced his claim to the throne. Whatever or whomever or however I got him back, I'll take it. Every time I was just like, mm-mm. I don't trust you. Like, I, from the jump, I was like, I don't trust you. You have alternative motives. I don't trust you. 
at all. Thing about Nick, uh, same thing. I apply the same thing to Nick. It's why I don't trust him or or what he's going to do with his crazy daddy or with that king's mate Isaac. Mm-mm, don't trust none of them. He alone. Mm-mm. So I could see Isaac sounds like he is very powerful and also somewhat like demented. I could see them figuring out a way like Casa, like Mesmer of some sort. So that Nick either forgets Brie or the memories that he has of Brie are all mushmashed and like she's been awful to him and that she lied about everything and she stole it because he has some memories that can be manipulated to make her look like the bad guy. So I could see his father having Isaac do that to him so that he aligns with him, but then Brie having to either use her powers or you know the powers of root craft or being a medium or whatever to be like ayo that's not what happened i know i made some mistakes and i should have come to you first instead of coming to selwyn i'm sorry and we can grow from this because something else about nick's dad is especially like once nick came back into the picture his father was always separating him from the rest of the house Mm -hmm. it was Oh, I have to pick that up from a meeting. Oh, dad's flying into town. Oh, I'm having a big meeting with dad. Like he was already creating that separation and that division between him and everyone else in the round table. Because once again, they thought that they were off this line. So they have all this power. And so some of this stuff could have been avoided if Nick would have just been around. But his father would not allow him to be around. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that his father thought, I could convince him to change his page pick and he couldn't. Yeah, well, Vaughn was the page. Yeah, and I think he thought he was going to be able to figure out a way to convince Nick. Are you sure? I really think you should go with Vaughn. Vaughn's the better choice. But Bree kept persevering. When she beat Vaughn, that was so dope. I was so satisfied. Sam, good. I was just like, oh, thank God. But I think that was the point was he was like, if I create some separation between them, this little cute puppy love that they have isn't going to matter. He's going to watch her fail. She's not going to do well. And then I can convince him that he should pick Vaughn. And when she went missing or, you know, she left, that was his end. He was like, oh, yeah, it's going to go exactly the way I wanted to. He did not expect her to show up to the dinner or show up to the ball. And she showed up and he was like, oh, shit, this might not go the way I wanted to go. And it didn't. That's why he kidnapped her. What do you think about all of this, Semi? Especially when Bree showed up in her freakum dress. Yes. And, and her <laughs> hair bouncing and behaving after she had her self care. That's that's one point I want to say. I really, really appreciated that when they talked about her hair and how she washed it and detangled it and conditioned it, and just the maintenance of having natural hair and yeah. how it was explained as both this blessing and a curse that need because you got to nurture it and mm-hmm. how she talked about it being an act of self-care. So thank you, uh, Tracy Beyond for that. But how do you feel about or respond to all that Madame Lizette has said and, and anything else you would love to add? So I did, I love that moment when she came in with her dress. I was like, that's right. Yes, her determination to be like, you're not gonna run me out of this place. Like I belong here, so I'm gonna take my place. I love that. And I think what we were talking about with Nick, it was a really good point that he was always being separated from everyone else. And I don't know if you guys read The Hunger Games, but like in the second one, like, uh, what's his face? Oh, the main boy. Oh my God, I can't remember his name. There was Pasha. And- And 
Uh, shoot. And I did read it. Oh, my God. What is his name? Gail yeah. and Pasha. Yeah, Gail and Pasha, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it was Pasha. Oh, my God. Right after that. When he got, like, his brain all, like, scrambled up and he basically thought Katniss was the enemy, I think maybe something like that might happen to Nick and he's going to have to like break through that spell and that curse to be like, she's not the enemy. She's actually, you know, the love of my life or whatever. One thing that like really struck me with how much happened in this book was this was in a span of like two weeks. And I was like, how did all this happen in two weeks? I was, I was thinking it was going to maybe go like throughout the whole summer, but I was just like two weeks. That's a lot of shit that's happening in two weeks. And I hope that the next book can explore more into the like the root craft because that was really interesting to me. Cause I thought it was just, well, they made a point in the beginning of the book that Brie needed to like be more in community with her people. Then they kind of didn't spend as much time for her connecting with that. And I hope that the next book really delves into her bringing her root craft plus the legend born stuff together and kind of forging a new path for herself. I would love to know more about Dr. Pat and Mariah. And if there are any other black root crafters at UNC Chapel Hill that they associate with. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like Brie has her her shield of people. So I would say Selwyn, William, and Alice, they are going to ride for her no matter what. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, like you guys have said, she needs some more Black friends because sis mm-hmm. ain't got too many. I would hope that she will get some more Black friends on this journey and that she could I, not kind of like develop her own version of the round table because I guess we're here now they lost a whole lot of bodies at the end of that book. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. At the end, it was like, anybody can get it. I was just like, damn, everybody's dying. Yo, when Fitz <laughs> died, I was like, oh, this is taking a right. turn. I was not prepared. And I feel like that is somewhat intentional. Because when you think about it, and I, I had this thought when I was reading it, and I had it again today when I was reading the syllabus, every person that Brie loved or liked in that group, they all died. Yeah, except for like, William and Alice. Right. Well, well, no, no, no. I'm talking about like of the pages. No, wait a minute. Greer didn't die. I thought Greer did die. <gasps> I could have sworn you said Greer oh. died. Yeah, it wasn't Greer. Hold on. Like you put it on the syllabus. Let me go back and read it. Yeah, okay. Looking. I'm looking. Sorry, podcasters. I just need to make sure I got the deaths right. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Fitz is deceased. Russ is deceased. Witty is deceased. And okay, it said you don't have Greer as deceased, Uh-oh. but Evan is deceased because he was never alive in the first place. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, that was one of those things I had beef with when it came to Selwyn because he spent so much time focused on Bree, he never thought to acknowledge any of the other pages. Like he set that trap for Bree, and he never was like, "But what about the other ones?" Mm-hmm. because he just knew it was going to be her because she was the outsider and that's that thing of like being the outsider and I know that he never said this but that's also like the she's a black girl she doesn't belong to like that's also part of that too like it may not be racism intentionally but it comes off in that way because she's the anomaly to all those people but from what I get yeah Evan got the college and the demon was like, and Evan, it's my turn. Right. <laughs> like, it was like mine, thanks. It's like Evan didn't even have Evan didn't even get to experience the first week of school. He was like, he was done though. 
And I thought that the reveal was so dope. Tracy had locked us into like this very, very, very tight sense of security to just rip it off. Right. It also raises the stakes. Yes. The moment that they get in the tunnel and the demons attack and Fitz dies, Bree is like, oh my God, I have, I, I, I think I know what's going on. Like, I think I know. And then I had to go back and reread that section because it happened so fast. Like her behavior immediately changes once someone else dies and she immediately is like I don't hear him why don't I ever hear him oh shit I never hear him it happens so quickly and he figures out that she figures it out even faster and then it's just like we're off to the races and I thought that that entire reveal was so well done because I never suspected like never suspected that it was going to be one of the like one of the guys who befriended her like, if you would have told me it was Vaughn, I'd have been like, yeah, I see the vibes. Like, like <laughs> that was so obvious. Dion did something really interesting about plotting things early and giving us breadcrumbs. So they introduced that there's a mole and that there's probably a demon in their midst. But you had Viceroy Davis, Nick's dad, who was the mole, you know, kind of say, oh no, so you're being paranoid. Are you being paranoid? You know what happens when people get paranoid, don't you? And it played into his worst fears, but that single-minded focus and the things that Selwyn taught Brianna saved her life, whether it was good or bad, because those interactions, she learned about the demons and different things through, yes, William a little through Nick but really through Selwyn from how he behaved what he was looking for all of that is very good very well plotted um you were saying something you were talking about Vaughn Vaughn I appreciated how upfront he was I did too I like my racism on the platter like give it to me (laughs) give it to me yeah. <laughs> just, text, just tell me that you don't like me and my melanin and so we can move on with our lives. Yeah, the other ring that you brought up, um Greer as binary was othered. Mm-hmm. You also had Sarah who was half Venezuelan but white passing. She was othered, especially when her father was in attendance and how they treated her father who got drunk. And then yes. Selwyn was othered because I mean, yes of his attitude, but also because of his designation. In a way, Nick was othered, you know, because he was privileged and pampered and and simpered to. And then, of course, Brie was othered because of her race and her sex all the way down. By the end of the book, there is a passage in there some way towards the end when she was kidnapped, where she said something along the lines of, my race and my sex are not my weaknesses, but he doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. And I find it really interesting with Sarah because she dates Tor and Victoria mm-hmm. is, I know you said she is smidge racist, but not nah, just got like, she has racist tendencies. Yeah. And then, but oh, yeah. because her girlfriend is white passing, you know, or passes enough. It's well, now nah, she's different from them. And it's like, no, 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 no. She's still Venezuelan sweetheart. Like, she speaks Portuguese, Spanish, whatever. Like her home life and your home life are probably not the same. Right. She's very and, race, but I do see race. And the fact that, you know, Sarah kind of 
befriends Brie with the I get the racism sis I see it too it just lets me know that like Victoria you're not doing this as well as you think you are mm-hmm. Sarah loves you you can tell she loves you y'all love each other but you are not being the ally that you believe you are being and that's that was also like throughout the book and it just talks about how fickle allies are because when it comes down to threatening something that they're used to how quickly they backtrack and and victoria yeah. tour is a perfect example of that but if you ask her she'll probably say you know what i would have voted for obama for a third term yeah. girl white ally. <laughs> yeah and that's why i love nick so much because mm. At every turn, he was like, I'm standing on the fact that, like, this is the person I'm doing this with. I came back for her. I made a promise to her. Also, she's too damn smart for me not to tell her no. Like, she's too pushy for me not to tell her no. She has forced my hand, but we're going to do this together. And I feel like that's the one thing about the betrayal is the promise was they were going to do it together. And in the end, she ended up doing a lot of it with Selwyn. And his dislike for Selwyn, I think we ha- we're going to have to address in the next book because we've heard a lot of Selwyn's side of it, but I would really like to know how Nick feels. Yeah. Um, because it sounds like all Nick wanted was some love. Like he wanted to hug and to be able to play with some toys. <laughs> <laughs> and like he got beat up on, right? So like I understand the idea of you don't abandon like the father that the parent that stayed, but the parent that stayed forced the other one to leave. Right. Like that's the thing. It's not like your your mother wanted to leave and she left because she wanted to protect you from your father. And part of me wonders, did she know what he was doing and got caught and was like, I'm gonna try to escape. I don't want my child to go through this. And it she backfired knew. on her. She knew because it was that was what it was. She couldn't continue to watch her child be beaten up and then have some mage come in or some healer come in and fix the broken bones. It's like, as a mother, you're watching your child be abused. It's like, this is too much. This has gone on long enough. And that she, she did leave, got caught. And that was her punishment because you took the king who they yeah. thought was the king. Right, but I wonder if she had done some digging in the same way that like Bree and Selwyn did some digging. I wonder if she had kind of started to piece things together too. Or if Selwyn's mother, who is really the enigma of this book, because she knows how to escape captivity mm-hmm. and get back into it and like did it recently. So now my question is, have you tried to visit Selwyn? Did you visit Selwyn? Because you made a point to visit Bree's mother when she died. So... Obviously, whatever this captivity is, you either found the back door or there's more to that story than what's led on to. Well, we know that they can shapeshift because someone turned into an owl. Yes. So I thought that was dope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, really cool. <laughs> so maybe she can as well. So you're right. We're learning. We don't know all of the magic sets and ways to get around that and what she may have tried to do for safety. But... I do think that to hear both sides of the story, when Nick punched Selwyn and he said, it's not fair because you know that I can't retaliate. I think that that says something to me about you will abuse your power because you can. It's one of the reasons why I don't have that wonky eye on Nick. Like, "Mm, I don't know about you, bruh. I would imagine as a child, because 
Selwyn says that him and Nick were very close and then there was a falling out and they were no longer close in that way and then Nick left right so I would think like as a child because siblings do this to their siblings all the time which is I'm the oldest I'm gonna punch you if you cry I'm gonna tell mama you did something to me right like or vice versa because sometimes the younger sibling does it to the older sibling right Mm -hmm. so I wonder if they have a lot of that going on and I feel like I feel like, because I feel like they're more brothers than not. And I wonder if Nick would punch Selwyn or Selwyn would make fun of him or Selwyn would tell him, stop crying or, you know, suck it up. You're going to be king one day or whatever. And Nick would hit him and Selwyn could not hit back, right? Because it was just like, I got to take my frustration out on somebody. And the only person I can really do that to is you. And also, I know you can't do anything back. Plus, my father's not going to, like, believe you even if you did tell him that I hit you. Or even if I did tell him that I hit... If you do tell him that I hit you, he's going to be like, and so what, right? Because I'm his child. But I wonder if that wasn't always the case all the time. Um, And I like to delve in more into what their home life was like between the three of them. And because I think that there's a lot there that needs to be unpacked between Nick and Selwyn and like what happened when they were kids and now that they are you know 17 18 years old and also Selwyn now has a lot of distrust of Nick's father and I don't blame him because you ran my mother off yeah you're the reason why my mother left me so I imagine that that's going to even change whatever that dynamic is too which could also point to why Mr. Davis treated them the way that he treated them in general because it's not like he just like running off mamas like he just be like "Mm mm-mm that's his thing. They don't need to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah mama gotta go I'm sorry Okay, well, do you have any thoughts on that, Simi? See, that's why I was like, Nick is not perfect because he did put out his anger on Selwyn knowing, like, that power dynamic. So that's why I'm just, he's not perfect, and that's, some, that's like, a character flaw that he has to work through as well. And I really, really want to delve into, like, their, I hope we get we get to delve into more of their, like, home life as well, because I really want to see that dynamic and that relationship and how it was. And someone's mama, I just need, I need more on her. Like, I just, I need to know your story because she intrigues, intrigues me a lot. So she's like the kind of the like secret weapon. Cause I'm like, how did you get away from these people twice and doing all this? I need to know what's happening. Hopefully the, like the next book doesn't dive too much into like plot, 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 but really like talks about like the relationships and stuff. Um, with all of these characters because that's one of the ones that really caught me. The plot and all that stuff was really interesting to me, but I really love the interpersonal relationships between them and how they grow and change and shift with each other. I am thinking of this and saying, Tracy Dion did a really good job world building. Yeah. And I am so surprised that we don't have the fan fiction answering yeah. those questions or kind of delving into that. Because I looked on AO3 and on fanfiction.net and I don't really see oh, a lot. I? Yeah. And I, I thought that was interesting because it's, it's rich. Like you're talking about, just think about all of the ways uh, Madame Lizette, ex fan fiction writer, maybe want to, you know, think about that. Those. I oh, have gave us a plot about we'll Selwyn. Because, <laughs> okay. like, but I'm also surprised. a fan fiction person. Like, I used to write fan fiction a lot, so it's just I also went on and be like, I need to know, I need to know what's happening here. But that mm-hmm. actually doesn't really surprise me that there's not because it's focused on a black girl and what we know about like 
<laughs> fandoms and stuff is if it's about a black girl, they're going to find a way to make it about the white person. Right. On top of the fact that, like, one thing that Dion does so well in this book is trace the history and the language and, like, what the colors mean and, you know, mm-hmm. what each emblem means and stuff like that. So she does yeah. her research. So it is very much so yes, we know these white people. Like, we know they're white people, right? Right. But what if it did get passed down? Mm -hmm. That's the story that I'm telling. And I imagine some folks was like, but it would never be passed down to a black girl because that never happened. And it's like, you don't know that. Like, you have no idea. Right. Absolutely no idea. I'm I'm living proof of that. You know, a lot of the Harrison history, you know, going up into really the 1900s is the white, the Peter side, the white side of Hairston's. And then we don't get ours until much later. And now we have it and it's rich and all those things. So that is not true at all. But, you know, I understand whiteness, so whatever. One of the critiques that I read about this uh, story was that, yes, you have this Black girl, but and you have a Black author. Why did the two love interests or potential love interests have to be white? Or how do you feel about that? So normally... I am with that critique because I feel like something that they do in pop culture in media is, oop, can't have two people, two black folks fall in love. One of them needs to be white or one of them needs to be light skinned enough that we could say that they half white, right? Everything else is always black person, white person. In this story, because of what it is about and the history that she's telling, it's kind of necessary that Nick is white Mm -hmm. and it's also kind of necessary that Selwyn is white because instead of him being human he's half demon half human so he has right half succubus so (laughs) he's half succubus half human (laughs) and so I'm so tired (laughs) (laughs) I was like wait a minute I was like I got stuck oh my god but now okay go ahead yes but he's he's (laughs) half demon half human so he has a strike against him you know like that's his strike and i hate comparing like demon and blackness but that's usually how they do it in books like we can't ever just be like normal individuals we gotta be demons the bad guys like we gotta have the the ogre whatever it's always something weird right so and because of how close knit this community is, it makes sense that Selwyn is also white, right? So in this context for this particular story, I totally understand why the two love interests for Brie had to be white. But in a lot of the other ones where we're just in like kicking it, enjoying ourselves, they can be two black people, I promise. Yeah. I agree with Madame Lizette. In this instance, I understand why both of them are white. The one problem I had with the like it's just I wanted more black people <laughs> around her, even in like the the actual like legend born. I was just like, damn, why she gotta be the only black girl here too as well? I wanted even one other one, just one other one in there. So I think that was one of my critiques and just the time frame that they crunched it in. I was just like, that's a lot of shit to happen in like two weeks. Goddamn, <laughs> I thought we were gonna at least go the whole summer. Honestly, I wish Alice would have just been black. Yeah. Like, why can't the two black girls go to UNC Chapel early college? Like, why can't they just do that together? Because nothing about Alice being Taiwanese actually affects whatever her character does. 
So why couldn't Alice be black? You make a good point. I'm going to say that I think that her not being around black people and then having her father say you need to be, but then think about her uh, meeting with Mariah and Dr. Pat and Mariah is telling her, hey, we have a student union. We have those other things that Mm. what I am hoping is that she realizes that need for community and that's book two. Her being othered the way that she is, is book one, because this is the legend born story. Book two is called Blood Marked. And I think that this is where her intersections are going to come to be, where she is the leader of the table, that order. And again, you know, like those three voices that echo inside her and she's a daughter there's a cost but you're not alone so that's the author's side of her but then you're going to have vera and um that's going to be the black side and and i think with the root crafting and really digging into that and getting community there because the one thing that we know is that black people are a collective and we thrive in community it's ubuntu i am because we are and then you have i think just Brie herself, and that's her friend with, so I can have a Taiwanese lesbian best friend. I can date this white boy if I want to. I can do whatever and just try to live my life to the fullest, however that looks for as long as I have it, that that's mine. She also says that, you know, like I have this legacies, but I have my own will and I've earned that. So I think that, you know, at some point we got to stop projecting <laughs> and let this girl be to her fullness and just be limitless. Oh, yeah, I agree. I think yeah. that Brie is going to force the people around her to get with it or get lost. Yeah. Yep. Like, you I'm either support my cause or you don't. But this is what we're doing. And, like, her being a medium, her being author's ascendant, and her just being Brie you going to have to do it. Like, you just, you're, you're going to have to. Like, even at, by the time we got to the end of the book, Vaughn is like, all right, so what you want me to do? Because he has to acknowledge that's who I need to, to follow. The only issue that I have, and I really hope that she doesn't do this, but it might lean that way, is that Vaughn ends up being her page and he gets a redemption story. And I don't want a redemption arc for a racist. I don't want that. That's why I didn't like Matthias and Six of Crows. No, no. You can keep that. I don't need. I don't need no redemption story for the racist. I'm good. Okay. Sorry. Like I just don't, and I understand that that's probably me just being very strict and things. People can grow. He's 17, right? Mm-hmm. Like he can totally become a new person because all he's doing is following in his mother's footsteps and the things that he's been taught. So I get that, but I don't want to have to learn that about him by him being Bree's page. I prefer that we just find somebody different. Right. He can learn that on his own. <laughs> okay. Anything else y'all want to say about Legendborn? Vera is excellent. Shout out yeah. to Granny Vera. She's hilarious. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't work. Can't wait for more of her in Bree's head. <laughs> yes. I just want Bree to just have, be having an argument with her all the time. <laughs> she was like, "Who are all these white people? Why are you in this room with all these white people?" Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. I like this. <laughs> Get it. Kill the whites. I, want it. I loved it. <laughs> read the book. Yeah, read this book. Yes, read it. Join us. Well, you at this point they probably would have read it, so I'm going to end with this. 
The order is my court now, whether I want it to be or not. The table will look to me to lead. I'm scared, but like Vera said, I'm not alone. As I bend to untie my shoelaces, my companion leads against an oak tree and our eyes meet. A light prickling pressure passes from him to me like a blessing, the exact opposite of what he offered the last time we were here together. Self doesn't ask why we're here. He doesn't ask why I discard my sneakers. He doesn't ask why I bundle my socks and stuff them into the mouth of each shoe. His gaze stays warm on my back as he watches me walk barefoot past him and deeper into the woods the way we'd come. Satisfied with the distance, I crouch in the dirt and look to the sky. I dig fingers into cool earth and it sends whispers up into my arms. I push toes into the buried memories of bodies gone past, bodies running away, and bodies bearing through. This is why I'm here. I need one wild horizon, one sharp moment that belongs only to me before I return to battle. No more before, no more after, only now. I surge forward and the strength of army sings through my muscles survive, resist, thrive. Each pound of my feet echoes in my joints like a blacksmith's hammer, ringing loud into bones and ligament and sinew into the forest blurs, passing a stream of moss greens and umber browns. I sprint faster and faster, and then I'm in the air, leaving the earth and the trees far behind me. And like Toni Morrison said, if you surrender to the air, you can ride it. And she, she most definitely did. She yep. did. All right. So thank you all so much for joining us to talk Legendborn. Here's the plan. The plan is that Bloodmark comes out November the 8th. Yeah. It is rumored to be over 600 pages. Oh, Jesus. She had the Twilight numbers. Uh, I mean, I guess. So what we want to do, if y'all are willing and y'all are invited, is to do a read along, but we want to break it up like piece by piece. So like part one, part two, part three. So like everybody can can read little bits of it and come and talk about it. We may do it on Twitter spaces. We may do it here. But if this is something that you're interested in, tweet us at watchwithyoupod or send me an email, watchwithyoupod at gmail.com and let me know that you're interested. And uh, wait a minute, let me twist some arms. Sammy, uh-huh. are you down? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I decided like chapter one. I was like, all right, whatever sequels coming, let's go. Madame Lizette, are you down? Of course I'm down. All right. Well then until that time, thank you and stay safe. Bye. Bye guys. Bye. Thanks for coming along on another fantastic journey. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to our podcast and your favorite pod catcher. Let us know what you think of this episode by tweeting us at watchwithyoupod, sending us an email at watchwithyoupod at gmail.com, or leaving us a review. And please spread the word. Add us to your syllabi and cite us.